This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is www.gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. As you're sitting down, if you'd open your Bibles, if you have one, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. When I'm join my voice with uh, Jeff and Rob, who have already greeted you and said Happy Easter, Happy Resurrection Day. Certainly want to acknowledge that as well. What a joy it is to come together on this wonderful time of the year to really celebrate what is the uh, center point of our faith as Christians, that Christ has died, that He has been buried, and that He is in fact risen that he has risen from the dead. And to talk a little bit about this morning, about what difference that makes for us. And we're going to do that by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're a guest here, I certainly want to invite you back next week. Next week, we start a new series called Ten Words. And uh, it's going to be 11 sermons on the Ten Commandments. And you'll have to come and figure out why that is. But we're going to do 11 sermons on the Ten Commandments series called uh, Ten Words, celebrating our freedom from slavery is kind of kind of be the, the theme of the, of the study is that once slaves but now set free for the glory of God. And we're going to look at that in, in, the, uh, in the Ten Commandments. Uh, so we'll start that next week. We'd love to have you back for that. Well, the message of Easter has a lot of different themes. I mean, there's a lot of emphases that we could bring up when we think about the resurrection of Christ. A lot of different themes. But at the core of the message of Easter is a message of hope. The message of hope. One of the fundamental emphases and themes in the truth of Easter is that there is now hope. And Peter starts this letter that we're about to look at. He starts this letter referencing the resurrection and referencing the hope that is found in the resurrection. And if anybody knew something about the hope that comes from the resurrection, it was Peter. And if you're familiar with the story of the Gospels, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, companions, um, followers. Peter left everything to follow Jesus Christ. He left everything to be one of the disciples trained by Jesus, on mission with Jesus, going out to pray for hurting people, going out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, going out to serve with Jesus. He was one of the three that was closest to Jesus, an intimate friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, on the night that Jesus was arrested, on the night that he was arrested, Peter, this close friend, denied Jesus. More than denied Him, cursed God and denied that he even knew Jesus on three separate occasions. And then the next day, Jesus was crucified. And so Peter must have just been overwhelmed with guilt, with failure. I mean, here he was, one of the closest friends of Jesus, uh, co-laborer, servant of Jesus, friend of Jesus. And yet, at Jesus' moment of crisis, Peter not only lets Jesus down, not only... You know, not only just sort of fails to help him out, but aggressively denies that he even knows him. 
How hopeless that must have been for him. How defeating. How discouraging. And yet, when Jesus rises from the dead on the third day, and when He appears, He says, go tell My disciples and Peter that I am alive. The, the message of the resurrection brings this message particularly, particularly tell Peter that I'm alive, Jesus says. And then after that, He restores Peter. And then uses Peter powerfully as a Christian to proclaim the Gospel and to write this letter that's in the Bible. So Peter knew something about failure and hopelessness and then the hope that comes in the resurrection. And so it's no surprise that he writes to this church and starts the letter mentioning the hope of the resurrection. This is a church that he's writing to. The Christians, they're spread, spread around that he's writing to. Um, these are people who are suffering. So this letter is written to the early Christians who are experiencing persecution, uh, who are suffering probably physically and f- for their faith, and he writes them a note of hope. that They're experiencing what he says in chapter 4 is a fiery ordeal. And he writes into their circumstances of suffering, and he encourages them to lift their eyes off their circumstances, and they lift their eyes up to Jesus Christ, the One who is risen, for in Him they will find hope. And I believe... Christ wants to do the same for us today. I believe He wants to bring hope right now in this room to us as we're gathered here. So I'm just going to read one verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is how He opens the letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this verse of Scripture. We thank You for the resurrection hope that met Peter in his failure. We thank You for the resurrection hope that met the readers, the first readers of this letter who were suffering a fiery trial. And we thank You for the living hope of the resurrection that meets us here today. God, please speak to us by Your Spirit. Please grant us a fresh and new awakening today to the living hope that exists through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, give me power to preach this passage and give us all your spirit's power to hear and respond in Jesus name. Amen. Well, in this letter he really starts off with a bang. He starts off by saying that he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. He tells a suffering people there's hope. It's not distant hope. It's not merely historical hope, though it is historical. It's not merely historical hope. It is a present living hope that you can encounter in your life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have that same hope today as Christians. Well, how do we experience that hope? Well, the first thing he starts with in this passage, and I'm just going to walk phrase by phrase through this passage. The first thing he starts with is thanking God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in suffering, they start with thanking God. Blessed be God the Father. That is, 
glory to God, thanks to God, honor to God, reverence, appreciation, adoration, gratitude to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give Him thanks. Why? Because according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. I want to camp on that section a little bit. He has caused us to be born again. If you're reading from the New International Version, that translation reads, He has given us new birth. He has regenerated us. He has given us new life. He has caused us to be born anew, born all over again. Born again is what he's saying. God has done this. And here's the point, that that when you receive new life, it is God's work and not your work. It is God's work and not ours. He starts the whole letter in a time of difficulty. People, thank God is what he starts with. Thank God because God has given you new life. God has made you new. God has caused you to be born again. And this is great news, that there can be new life and that God is the one who gives us that new birth. And it's telling that he uses the metaphor of birth to talk about spiritual experience, to talk about new life. He uses the picture of birth. You're physically born and then you're spiritually born. And that's a telling metaphor because it is God who grants spiritual birth just as it is God who grants physical birth. Uh, I recently had a birthday. Friday was my birthday. It's, it's okay. It's not too late. I see the, the, the wearied look. It's not too late. Um, I am registered. You like to give me a gift? So. I'm registered at La Hacienda Ranch. And uh, if you want to pick me up the steak fajitas there, that'd be fine. I registered there. Uh, I, I mean, here I am, 30 years old. It's amazing. I couldn't make it. Hey, you should not laugh at that. That is insulting. You laughed at that as if that was a joke. Oh, he could never be close to 30. Well, I was a while back, a long while back. But nonetheless, I had a birthday. And uh, actually, I did go. My family took me to La Hacienda, and I had steak fajitas. No, that was a joke, but I'm willing to go back. So, uh, but they took me to dinner, and we celebrated. And one of the things they did was communicate some meaningful thank- things to me, my children and my wife, to honor me. And uh, not only that, but on my birthday, I had a few other uh, meaningful you know, exchanges where somebody communicated something about me that was meaningful to encourage me on my birthday, sent me a text or an email or a card or something like that. But I noticed in the kind things people said, no one said to me, hey, I just want to really thank you for the work you did all those years ago on being born. You did a great job at your birth. No one said that to me. No one said, thank you for working so diligently to be born. No one said to me, thank you. You did a great job deciding to be born. No one said to me, you know, we want to celebrate your personal achievement in birth. We want to honor your personal accomplishment. So many try and fail, but you, you were born, and that's a credit to you, baby. Nobody said that to me. Why? Because there's no credit to be given. And, and, and Peter wants to say the same thing. You've got trouble, Christians? Let's start here. Thank God that He gave you spiritual birth. Thank God that He gave you new life. Thank God that the one who, 
who died for you and was resurrected for you applied that to you and he has given you new birth. He has caused you to be born again. And, and how did he do that? Look at what the text says. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. He's pointing to these Christian people and he's saying, hey, no matter what's going on, I mean, he's going to acknowledge trials are bad, suffering is bad. Whether you're a Christian or not, hurt hurts. Pain is painful. Difficulty is difficult. So whether you're a Christian or not, the challenges of life are there. But he's saying in the midst of your challenges, think back to this reality that God was merciful to you and that God gave you new life. And if you're here today as a Christian and you're here today celebrating the resurrection because it's real to you, if you're here today, uh, I really appreciated Aaron's testimony. If you're here today and you're not just sitting through a religious service, but it means something to you because you have spiritual life, that's the kindness of God to you. What's the answer to that? God's been merciful. He did it according to his mercy. If you're a Christian, there's one explanation. God has been merciful to you. Mercy is God's compassion towards helpless sinners who cannot save themselves, who cannot change themselves, who cannot be good enough, as he said in his testimony, who can't be religious enough to be accepted by God. But God grants new life by his Spirit. Not because of our effort, not because of our will, not because of our background, but because of his mercy. Why are you born to new spiritual life, he says here? Because according to God's mercy, God gave it to you. Not because according of your pedigree, not because according to your wisdom. It's not that you were smarter than the next guy and that's why you became a Christian. It's not that you were holier than the next gal and that's why you became a Christian. It's because God has mercy on struggling, suffering, and sinful people that cannot make themselves right with him. He has mercy and he grants new life. We were dead in our sin, but he grants us new life, so that we are born anew to a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of forgiveness, a life of hope because of his mercy. And now what he says next is that it's not just generic. It's not as as just God generically hands out new life. God just sort of generically grants new life. But he does it according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We receive new life because Jesus was raised up from the dead. Because Jesus came back to life, we can have new life. Because Jesus came out of the grave, we can come out of our state of death to spiritual life before God. We receive new life, not just detached from anything, but we receive new life because Christ rose from the dead. And to understand the resurrection, we have to back up a few days to the cross because we can't understand how the resurrection brings new life if we don't understand the cross. And we can't understand the cross unless we really understand God's nature and our nature because that's what helps us understand the meaning of the cross. You see, the Bible teaches that God is holy. God is holy. God is perfect. He is morally perfect. He has never done, thought, or said anything sinful, anything against his own law. God is completely holy and perfect. He is immaculate in every detail. He is faultless, uh, without fault altogether. And his scripture reveals that he is holy. And so God gives his laws in the Bible because they reveal his holiness. They reveal his perfection. 
And in the Scripture, he calls us to obey his laws, which are holy. Jesus took all the laws of the Bible, and he summed them up very simply. If he said, you want to know all the laws in the Bible, they all fit under these two sort of headings. One is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus said, if you want to obey God, then you must love him, and you must obey him with every fiber of your being, every thought, every action, every deed, with every effort, all the time, acting in a way to love God. Putting God first, living for God, seeking to please God, not myself, but living for God all the time. That's a, that's a lofty, that's more than a lofty, that's an impossible standard. No one does that. None of us love God all the time. None of us obey God all the time. None of us think of God with our actions all the time. And, and the second one doesn't get any easier. He said the other category or the other heading that all the laws of the Bible could fit under is this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is, love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. But that's an impossible one as well, isn't it? Because we don't love others all the time. We prefer ourselves. We have selfish orientation of our heart, and frequently we act in a way that prefers us, not prefers others. Loving God and loving others, those are the standards. And so it's no surprise that at one point in his ministry, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. None of us are. We have all broken those standards. And so that's bad news, that we are sinful, that we are selfish, that we've loved ourselves frequently, not God. We've loved ourselves and not others frequently. We do not, by nature, just seek to obey God on our own. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans, the Scripture says, there is no one righteous. This is what God, God wrote through the Apostle Paul. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. No one of themselves, by themselves, seeks to please God with their life, seeks to glo- live for God, love God, love others, give their life away for the good of others. We don't, we don't have our hearts pointed towards God. We have all turned away, is what Paul says in that passage. God is holy, and his law reveals that we are not. That we are not holy. God is, but we are not. Not only is God holy, but the Scripture says that God is just as well. That means he's fair. He's a fair judge. He's a righteous judge. He does the right thing. And as a fair judge... God will, will punish sin. God will give sinners what we deserve. Because of our sins, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's, the Bible even talks about God's wrath. That God in his holiness, because he is righteous and right, must be opposed to sin, must be opposed to evil, must be opposed to rebellion. And so God will judge sin. He will pour out his judgment on our sins because we have rejected his law because we have uh, rejected his rulership because we have not loved the most wonderful glorious being in all the universe because of that we all deserve judgment is what the scripture says we deserve judgment apart from god in hell is what we deserve But not only, and this comes to the text right here, that's all background for this text, not only is God holy and not only is God just, but the Scripture reveals that God is merciful as well. That the holy God and the just God 
has a heart of mercy towards people, that he's compassionate, that he reaches down to help the helpless and to forgive sinners, that God is a merciful God. And the way he expresses his mercy is that God, the holy judge, who pours out judgment upon sinners, comes to take the judgment himself. That's the message of Jesus Christ coming. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So God becomes man for the purpose of coming on a rescue mission to live a perfect life which we've never lived and could never live and to die in our place as a substitute, to suffer for us, to pay the price for our sins so that God in his justice and in his mercy expresses both in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus dies an excruciating physical death, a crucifixion, but it's not the crucifixion, the physical death itself, that is primarily his means of forgiving us. It is the fact that he dies as a substitute for us and that he takes on punishment for our sin. So God the Holy Father pours out his wrath and his judgment on God the Son because the Scripture says Jesus Christ took our sin upon himself. And God in a mysterious way, pours out his own judgment on on himself, his suffering son. So that is mercy. He's executing justice. He's pouring out condemnation. He's giving punishment. He's executing a sentence for our sins. But it's also mercy because he's receiving the punishment and the judgment himself. That's the message of the crucifixion, that Jesus dies in our place, that he takes our sins upon him, that he absorbs the punishment that is due us. That's mercy. That's why it says according to his mercy, he's granted us new life because it cost him and he was loving to do so. And not only did he die, Jesus, but he was also buried. And the scripture teaches that on the third day, he rose from the dead. He came back to life. And that's God making a loud statement. He's making a loud statement that, first of all, that his substitution counted. That Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus is who the the Old Testament Bible prophesied and foretold that he would be. So Jesus coming back to life is like an exclamation point of God saying, Jesus is true. His message is true. His sacrifice counted. His sacrifice has been accepted. The judgment has been paid. The judgment for those who will believe, for those who will believe in this Christ, the judgment has been answered. It's been covered. Jesus' death counted. And His coming back to life makes that clear. Scripture says he was raised for our justification. That is, he came back to life to declare that believers are not guilty because he was treated as guilty. Not only that, but his coming back to life reveals that the power of sin and the power of death has been defeated. Through his death and his resurrection, he dominates over the power of sin and death. He extinguishes the power of death, so that those who believe don't experience eternal death, don't experience eternal condemnation, don't experience eternal judgment, but experience eternal life. For we deserve eternal condemnation, but because he's come back to life, he's defeated that power so that we may have life forever. 
He's defeated the power of death. He's defeated the power of sin so that we are forgiven our sins. And we are being changed so that we sin less and we're, we're acting more like Him as time goes on. And one day we'll be totally separated from sin in heaven with Him forever where we will see the effect of the resurrection where there is no sin, no suffering, but we experience eternal resurrection life because of what Christ did for us. He's glorious. He is risen. That's the big deal about Easter is that we have forgiveness of sins and we have new life and we, we experience that forever. Jesus was raised from the dead, Romans 6 says, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So Jesus was resurrected so that we might receive new life. So the passage, according to his great mercy, what's his great mercy? Well, the, the, the judgment, the judge received his own judgment so that we could be forgiven. Because of his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. He's the one that gave us new life to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope today through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, you have a living hope. If you're not a believer, you can receive a living hope today. You can experience a living hope today. Maybe you're here today and you say, I really don't have hope. Maybe you have lost hope. I mean, maybe someone has let you down in your life significantly, and so you have lost hope. A spouse, a parent, a friend, someone that you trusted has harmed you, hindered you, and so maybe you're here today without hope. Maybe your circumstances are bleak today. Maybe your job, your financial circumstances, your health. Maybe you're sitting here today and, and you're really, really low on hope. You're on your, your last, last shred of hope and you feel hopeless. Maybe you don't feel like you have a promising future. Maybe you've lost hope in the church. Maybe you have been exposed to Christians or churches and, and you've been let down. You've been disappointed in some way and so... You've even, it's even a huge deal for you to be here today, maybe. Thanks for coming. But there may be someone here like that where you say, I, I can't even believe I'm here. I've, I've lost hope in the church. I've lost hope in institutional religion. Maybe you've tried religion or you've tried spirituality before and it didn't work. You said, I tried the religious deal and that just didn't work for me. It didn't change me. Okay, maybe you could relate to what Aaron shared earlier that You've gone through the motions. You've done the right stuff that you're supposed to do, and it's never really taken for you. And you say, I've lost hope in religion. Maybe you've lost hope in God. Maybe you feel like it's too late for me. I've done too much. I failed to do the right things, and I've done too much wrong, and there's no hope for me today. Listen, this message of Scripture screams at you today. There's a living hope. There is a living hope. And it's beyond all circumstances. It's a living hope in Jesus Christ, the one who dies for sinners and is raised to the dead, raised from the dead on the third day. Christ is alive. And you can receive forgiveness of your sin. You can receive new life today by trusting, by believing 
in Jesus Christ because He gives this living hope Himself to us. In Jesus we find forgiveness. In Jesus we find eternal life. In Jesus we find a reason for living. He's the reason. People will let you down. Circumstances will be difficult. People will sin. Uh, Health will deteriorate. Bank accounts will dry up. Faithful friends will be not so faithful. Maybe a faithful spouse will not be so faithful. I mean, all kinds of things can happen to us in life. But it's interesting that what Peter does by the Holy Spirit's direction in this letter is he writes to people who are having difficulty. People who became Christians, and you know what the result of that was for them? Persecution. They became a Christian, and they may have lost their job. Or they may have a family member arrested. Or they may have been beaten. That's disillusioning. To come to Christ and your life gets worse circumstantially. That probably happened for some of the first readers of this letter. And you know what he says? He writes to them and says, take your eyes off your circumstances and lift your eyes up to God who has mercy on sinners. To God who gives His life for sinners. To God who gives brand new life causing us to be born again that we may turn to Him and trust and believe in Him. The one who is the living hope, the one who is alive today, the one who has defeated the power of sin, the one who has defeated the power of death, the one who is reigning at the right hand of the Father, the one who is present today in the power of His Holy Spirit to sustain us in times of difficulty, to grant us a living hope, the one who is returning that we will always be with Him. Christ is our living hope, and He excels all circumstances and he is with us in all circumstances and he will guide us and walk with us through all circumstances until the one day when we see him face to face it is not too late i don't care who you are and what's going on it is not too late there is hope and it's not a hope that changes it's not a hope that's here today and gone tomorrow It's not a hope that's as consistent as the weather or a fickle friend. It's a hope that is lasting. A living hope. The Lord Jesus Christ. I love what one author, Ed Clowney, said about this passage in hope. This is what he said. Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming. We look to the past and say, He's alive, so there is hope. We look to the present and say, for those who believe, He's a living hope who is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of His Word, the presence of the church, His people around us. He's alive with us here today. And He is coming, and He will raise us as He Himself was raised and will give us a resurrection body. And we will always be with Him in eternity. That's hope. That's lasting, enduring, unchanging hope. If you don't have a living hope today, if you don't know what we're talking about, if, you can't, if you've not experienced what Aaron talked about, an internal life, not merely external rules and behavior, if you have not been changed and experienced the nearness of God, the forgiveness of sins, the cleansed conscience 
a hope for eternity, then today you can receive that. You turn to Jesus Christ. You turn from your many sins. We all have many sins, but you turn from them and you ask him to forgive you for your sins. That's called repenting, turning to Christ, desiring to leave a life of sin behind and receive forgiveness for our sins with him. You turn to him and you trust. And you say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. You're the one You're the one who gave your life that I might be forgiven. Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And give me eternal life as I hear read about today. Have mercy on me. Give me a living hope. Forgive me and grant me forgiveness that I may forever be with you. You can do that today. It's simply yourself turning in your heart to Christ and asking him to forgive you, confessing that you believe God Uh, forgives through the death of Jesus and through his resurrection, and you want that for you personally. If you're a Christian here today already and you do not have hope, you've lost hope, then I'd say the exact same thing I just said to those who aren't Christians. Turn. Turn back to Christ. Turn afresh to Christ. Look, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. He is risen. He is reigning. He is powerful. And he wants to meet you where you are as you turn from every other thing you might lean on and turn leaning on him alone today as your sufficiency and as your strength. Turn and believe afresh. I'm not saying you become a Christian again. If, you, if he's given you, if he's caused you to be born again, the text says, that's eternal. So you don't need a new, new birth You don't need a rebirth of your rebirth. You just need to turn and recognize afresh what that means. That God had mercy on you. That God gave you new life. That He's living in you. That His Spirit is alive and well in you. That His his Word is living and active. And there's folks who will be happy to circle around you and bear your burden with you, to care for you, to love you, to walk with you. Experience the life that is found in the church body as well. So if you're not a Christian, turn from your sin and trust in Christ for the first time, the living hope. If you are a Christian, turn from everything you're relying on afresh. See the empty tomb. Realize the power of the resurrection and celebrate, receive all anew the living hope that is yours in Jesus Christ. He's risen. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you have risen, that you are alive, that you are well, that you are mighty, that you forgive sins. We thank you today that you're merciful. Lord, you took your own judgment that was aimed at us. You acted as a substitute in our place so that we might be forgiven. I pray for anyone in the room now, Lord, that's yet to ever meet you. I pray that you would grant them new birth right now, that you would cause their spirit to come to life, that they would believe in you, that they would turn to you, that they would be converted today. We pray for them. And Lord, for those in the room who are struggling with hope this time, this season in their life, I pray that you'd be the giver of fresh mercy. Your mercy is new every morning. Your hope is alive. And I pray today that you would freshly encourage hearts, that you would freshly stir faith, that this special day where we acknowledge and, 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 and celebrate your rising from the tomb, I pray today that you would bring a fresh resurrection of hope. 
for all of us, Lord, some for the first time and some all over again celebrating your life. Lord, we confess you rule, you reign, you are glorious. How we love you this Easter morn and how we thank you for what you have done for us in the cross, burial, and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.